Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 2.5. Yes, I said 2.5. This is our um, half-cast segment. It's going to be called Short Swords. And what we're going to do is we're going to give you um, about half an episode worth of material. We, we figure we would... Um, didn't want your ale to run dry, so to speak, so we're going to give you um, this every other week. So we'll have an episode 2, this is episode 2.5, you will get an episode 3, and then you will even get an episode 3.5, and so on and so forth. So here, as always, we have Logan. What's going on, man? Not much. How you doing? And we have Matt. What's happening? Oh, just sitting here, uh, getting ready for episode 2.5. All right, the exciting 2.5. So we're going to dive right in because this is a shorter episode. Uh, we have a few con uh, a few topics here that we didn't really get to cover last time as in-depth as we wanted to, so we wanted to jump in a little bit further. So the first one was we were talking in episode 2 a little bit about the expected tech level that we individually prefer this is we'll leave it on an individual level in yeah. sword and sorcery heroic fantasy so i introduced logan first so i'm going to go with matt first on this one what is your ideal tech level in sword and sorcery well if you had asked me uh years ago when i was a younger man and i hadn't read uh, as deeply into the genre as i have now uh, i would have said you know definitely medieval levels of tech uh no guns no cannons no, um, you know, nothing that's, that's going to take away from the um, magic of magic. But I have shifted on that a little bit. I would say, having read Carl Edward Wagner's Kane uh, stories, specifically the novels, there's points in those where this technology, Kane gets a hold of it, and it is definitely more of a sci-fi element. Like oh, yeah. Like the it, uh, the submarines with the laser guns from uh, Darkness Weaves. Exactly. So that that threw me for a loop when I first read it. I was like, ah, oh, I don't think I like that. And then I, I had read Bloodstone before it. Which is teleportation then, technology in that one. Yeah, and I mean, when he first goes into that, that, that huge area past all the frog people and he's working all these, like it sounds like a major supercomputer almost. Yeah, was a little. Yeah. It was taken out of uh, out of the uh, out of that setting a little, but I don't know. After a while, I reflected on it, and I, I kind of think it's cool, especially if you keep it, you know, not really, not explicit. It doesn't flat out say it's a computer, right? For my own settings, I would be more careful with that. I wouldn't, I wouldn't totally. keep it anything is on the nose. You you would have no idea of of whether it was a computer or not. And actually, uh, another book I would mention that did this. And I wouldn't really say this is sword and sorcery. It's more grimdark, but like Mark Lawrence's, um, oh, is it called Broken Empire? I'm thinking of Prince of, um, oh, damn it. Jorg. It, it's, they, they do like a post-apocalypse, like a, I think it was a nuclear war, and they're coming upon uh, explicit pieces of technology like a gun. I am not really into that. I, I didn't. I thought the story was great. I thought the book was great, but I wouldn't go down that road. Now, with the my own fiction that I'm developing, there are a few things I am injecting in there that are a little more sci-fi, but I wouldn't say tech. So, you, you know, you've got extraterrestrial life visiting the planet, but it's via, like, meteorites and then the spore of alien creatures uh, essentially infecting the world. There's no spaceships. There's no... Um, 
you know, laser guns. There would be, a, there's a magic system, but it's not tech in the sense of, there's, there's going to be no wires or calculators or, or planes or any of that business. So, the, and another thing I would have said too with old sword and sorcery, which is, you know, you can't really argue whether it's sword and sorcery or not, would be Lynn Carter's Thongor novels. Now, they had a few things in there as well, which are a little more techy. Like, he's on a weird um, helicopter like a, ship. Yeah, like mm-hmm. a flying surfboard kind of thing, aren't they? In the first novel, which is, you know, totally strange and out there, but and perhaps getting us closer to something like Sword and Planet. Um, and at first, I was really, I had my guard up about it. And then I kind of came around, you know, reading it, uh, less bothered by it, but still certainly for my own personal preferences and my own settings, I want it lower tech. Um, I'm, 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 I'm actually okay with having a variety spread across the world. So certain things could be like, you know, 15th, 14th century, potentially in certain areas and others could still be in the bronze age if it's an isolated area, or you would have people in a more stone age um, with, you know, early men. So I, I'm kind of open to it, but I, I definitely don't want explicit pieces of our technology, you know, from our world coming in there. Like if someone found an iPhone in a story, I'm out. <laughs> now, I agree with almost everything Matt said. Um, I, I'm not super into sci-fi stuff in general, but I think it worked in Kane. And I think part of it, and like if that was something you wanted to bring to your like gaming table, the player characters or in character have no idea what it is. To right. them, it's still magic. In Lovecraft, the alien creatures traveled space. Tower of the Elephant, I guess they flew on wings. But aliens are part of sword and sorcery as a genre. Um, and yeah. how they look is entirely dependent on the storyteller. And it really, like, Kane as a character has all this knowledge of vast amounts of time because he's immortal. But he still never explicitly says it's machinery, it's technology, because I'm not 100% sure that he knows exactly what it is. He just knows it's beyond what the rest of the world is like. And I guess that's yeah. kind of how you have to present it. And it's serving his ends of, of conquering. Right, uh, right. To, megalomania that he is. To a degree, you're hearkening back to the, um, to the Castlevania conversation, right? I just keep thinking of uh, Dracula's castle and that the technology that was right. within that too, which is uh, – sure you know, scientific contributions that man at that time just didn't have. Right. See, when you guys say Castlevania technology, I'm remembering uh, Super Castlevania, like level four or five when you're in a clockwork environment. My God, what a cool game. What a soundtrack on that game. The soundtracks (laughs) for the Castlevania games are always just amazing. And, And you know what? I would say I've watched a bit of, I watched the first season of the Netflix show a uh, little, little disappointed at not having that kind of soundtrack. I mean, that seems like a missed opportunity to me. But totally, the second I, I, season is is better. The first one seemed underwhelming on first watch, um, but if you get into it now and watch both season one and two together, it tells the complete story. And two is a much more complete package. Two, two is great. And music wise, I don't know this per se myself, but I was told this. Uh, that they do tease um, some of the traditional Castlevania themes, so I think you might be a little bit happier with that. So, but yeah. you know, back to back to tech, um, Logan. Why don't you? I think you're probably going to have uh, a very different take on, yeah. on tech as well. Um, so go ahead. 
I won't deny that Conan has medieval aspects, even like in its Middle East setting, and then the Indian analog. Um, they're all medieval tech level, I would say. Um, but I tend personally to go more towards Bronze Age material. Um, this is probably influenced by Clash of the Titans being the first real fantasy movie I've ever seen. Um, mm-hmm. I love Greek mythology. There's lots of monsters. So, like, my ideal sword and sorcery adventure would be like the Odyssey if it was badass. If they didn't just solve all the problems by their wits, but actually, like, fought a Cyclops, <laughs> like, that would, be, that would be my adventure. Remember uh, the garbage one that was uh, all CGI'd? And- oh, yeah. I'm talking about the original one. Somehow looked worse than the uh, than the Harry Housen. Yeah. Wait, 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 let me back that up. The Harry Housen stuff looks awesome. What I mean is, looked less convincing. Right. Uh, yes. You know? Like while the Harry Housen movies didn't necessarily have a sense of horror or menace, although the Medusa scene yeah. is awesome. pretty scary. Yeah. Um, you do feel a sense of awe when you see the monsters, and maybe that's because of Harryhausen's fantastic art in special effects, but you feel the wonder. And even the old trailers really played on that. I remember the Sinbad trailer, just like, see the spectacle, see the wonder, experience the thrills. Like, that's what I get from it. Mm -hmm. So that's what I would go for. And I really get that um, from from the ancient setting. Um, I would not necessarily stray from historical settings, uh, because obviously, like Solomon Kane is historical. Um, there's a really obscure book. Um, I think it's called The Servant of the Manticore, which takes place in Mesopotamia. I would accept. There's a couple RPG settings that are like Sword and Sorcery Egypt. All of that, I think, would totally work. Still the same level of tech, just using real world stuff. And I think I really like that as well because it plays into that Harryhausen type um, adventure feel. So. I like Bronze Age. Obviously, the world being the world, there's going to be variants. Um, but I would never get any bigger or any more technologically advanced than, you know, like BC Roman Empire, I guess, mm-hmm. would right. be my stop. And Running then, all the way back to the Stone Age, um, depending on the location. Yeah, and I was going to say, and in your own stuff, you really favor a lot of the Stone Age, right? So when I write, so I do have a couple stories that I play with as far as stone age goes. Um, I mentioned this in episode two, but I typically write in a setting that is basically Hyborian age, North America. And I being an archaeologist, having been an archeologist that studied uh, the history of the American Southwest, I kind of stick to that. And most weaponry and technology and whatever didn't get much past stone. That's just what they had. Um, I'll admit that there are other aspects of other cultures that come in there, but I don't know if I'd necessarily call the setting stone age because there are very advanced native American cultures. It just metalworking wasn't a thing. Right. So there's kind of other ways around that. Um, but yeah, right, and, and I think a whole that's, different topic. So I think that's an interesting uh, distinction too. Is you know there is stone aged technology or stone technology, and then there's 
what everyone sort of thinks of as Stone Age, which is tends to be a very different caveman sort of thing. And I think that those are very different things that we're talking about here. We're talking right, about right. stone technology. Uh, on the topic of Stone Age technology in like caveman sense, um, last episode I mentioned Zenobia as a free RPG. The same guy, Paul Elliott, has another RPG that is basically sword and sorcery Stone Age and the mechanics he made his own settings the mechanics actually run off drawing stones from a little leather bag or whatever so it still uses the stone technology to run the system which i thought was kind of a clever little that's cool gimmick that's yeah cool. that's like it's like using a rune bag it sounds like right know, right yeah exactly uh that's cool so you know in my own taste i i guess i'm pretty fascinated uh on the traditional side, like I am very much in the medieval, slightly a little less. I get, I don't want to say uncomfortable, but for lack of a better term, I'll use that word. Uncomfortable when we, go, when we swing too far to lower tech and too far to higher tech. I like the most mystical thing to be that sorcerer that is uh, conjuring up a green flame amidst the purple swirling smoke. I like my um, my barbarians and my warriors to carry uh, iron or steel. If you happen to wear sandals on your feet, I guess that's okay. But for the most part, I like boots, big sturdy boots. Uh, I want <laughs> you to go in and you know kick down doors. I still view it very much uh, in terms of when you think of architecture. Um, I I think of Middle Eastern architecture, and then I swing back to a Western. Uh, castle sort of um, sort of setting, and I, I realize that that's not necessarily technology, but it does speak to um, well, it speaks to tech a little bit about what you what you can do with that stuff. Um, so that's sure. I think that's my own my own angle, and it's again so much of what I say is as we go through these podcasts, I realize is like rooted in my childhood. <laughs> sure. So as, I yeah, think everything is. Yeah. So, so this, this podcast is essentially going to be a gigantic therapy session for me. So just be ready for it. So I'm just <laughs> going to continue to share about, you know, how I, now, oh, I wish, I wish it was more like this when I was a kid, you know, what I wonder is how much does the story you want to tell influence your setting for like me, the ideas of expansionism, um, like the Roman empire or colonialism in America. And then, environmental changes like the ice age coming and going those are all aspects of the worlds that i build because my i'm gonna my stories have those kinds of undercurrent how to deal with colonization how to deal with plane changing climate and that's why my settings are what they are right how does how does the story you tell influence things that you like i guess in your setting yeah well i'm gonna go real quick because i'm the easy one because i'm not being a writer when i from an RPG point of view, it's it's a very easy uh, easy approach because the stories that I want to tell often focus around the mystical, right? So you can really squeeze that in anywhere. So to me, I try to f I think of exotic uh, mystical locations. But I know uh, Matt, as I know as a writer, you probably have a lot more to add on that. Uh, for me, <laughs> my world is whatever I need for those stories. So. Uh, when I decided to start, you know, dabbling in any serious sense with writing a few years back, I mean, I've always kind of written, but never, never made a concerted effort. And since I've done that, I guess it's, you know, the nerd in me that, that wants to make, to have a, 
an ongoing uh, shared setting within all my fiction. But I have essentially written the stories I wanted to, learned the lessons about writing I've wanted to, and then whatever the world needed to be is what I made it. So, you know, I, I believe in wearing your influences. Um, and I'm a huge, I'm, I'm as big a fan of, of the Alien franchise as I am of Conan the Barbarian. And so any things that I would need to tell those kind of stories are things that made it into my world. You know, and of course, Lovecraft would come into that somewhat too. Um, so for me, it's, it's the world is whatever I want for the storytelling. And it may end up at the end of the day, I write all these stories and I end up blowing up my own concept of what I figure sword and sorcery is. Um, and maybe it's not something any others would consider sword and sorcery. And then if it's just a different kind of fantasy, then, then it is. So I don't, sure. um, I actually, I don't allow myself to do too, too much. I, I don't allow myself to focus too much on world building because I feel like when you do that, you get too caught up in, in the, and this is, this is from a writer's standpoint, not from a, a DM, a GM standpoint. Um, you, that becomes your whole thing. And then you don't worry about being a storyteller. So for me, it would be tell a good story, learn how to do that, and then worry about the world. I would actually agree in, in, in terms of uh, DMing. It's, it's very similar. If you spend too much time painting the world, you're, mm. someone's going to break it. Yeah, yeah, totally. You know, yeah. So you're better and, off using broad brushstrokes and sharing the world and building it together. But again, as we talk about in episode two a little bit, you really need the the right buy-in and the right mix. If you're if you're super serious about getting a real serious game going, uh, then you're going to need yeah. those people that want to share that that serious experience too. Right. Um, yeah. Hopefully, so, oh, go ahead. you get a little bit of that on this on the show at some point. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Uh, that is uh, upcoming content. And speaking of upcoming content, uh, episode three, we have had allusions to the chainmail bikini and the amazing fur diaper um, <laughs> in our in our discussions. And in episode three, we feel like it is time we're going to officially engage in the great armor debate. Uh, so we're going to tackle that topic, and I think that we're we're all pretty excited. Uh, to do that, um, and I think, guys, right? We're gonna we're gonna take comments on this one. Right? Yeah, uh, there's already yes. a post on the Facebook page. We're gonna share it again. We're gonna reach out to some of you uh, that we when we really liked your comment or thought it was really relevant or something that we wanted to bring up. We're gonna see if we can use it on air. But if you had anything else to add, keep an eye out for that post on Facebook, um, or you can email us roguesinthehousecast at gmail dot com. It's going to be an episode for sure. Yeah, maybe we can make that one uh, a sticky post for a little while. Totally. And then uh, that way we, we can even get... put a poll up. Yeah. Oh, you know what? And that just reminded me too. In in episode one, we were talking about uh, a pastiche uh, poll that we never did. Oh yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, so we should also get that up there too. Yeah, we should we should think about getting that up there at some point too. Um, <laughs> see, we go back and listen to our own episodes once in a while. <laughs> so um you know as always uh with the great armor debate looming you can also contact us via email rogues in the house cast at gmail.com and as uh, as logan said you can find us on the facebook page too um before we go really quick we talked a lot about technology uh 
Let's take that over um, to the tabletop for a second. Um, you know, it seems like the episode two has been a big uh, tabletop theme. And I know we'll go back to tabletop at some point. But what kind of tech do you guys like at your table when you're having, running a game? Well, well, well. I guess I'm going to go because uh, I listen. I, I think it, I think miniatures and terrain could easily be considered technology on yeah, the table, and it's so gorgeous. Uh, yeah. So I uh, when when we started playing role playing games again, oh gosh, I I keep thinking five years ago was. Uh, anyways, the concept of time as you get older is starting to unravel. So it was probably almost ten years ago now. I made a concerted effort that that if we were playing role-playing games again, I was going for it. I was going to get paint miniatures or get pre-painted miniatures for anything I could conceivably need. And then I would make terrain for any kind of modular setup I would need. So I have effectively made modular terrain pieces for forest, desert, uh, Arctic wastes. I have various different kinds of dungeons. I used um, Hearst Arts tiles. So mm. essentially you and then you get dental stone, you cast them, you paint them, you build them as you need them. Um, that has been, I mean, that has been awesome. I, when we were playing uh, our role-playing games with those for the first time, all of our hair was kind of blown back. And we were like, this is amazing. Yeah. Mm. You know, you send pictures to people and they'd be like, whoa, that's what you do? And it's like, well, you don't even need this stuff. It's just we're adding it to it. I love bringing that level uh, to it. Um, and it's funny because I have i sway at my my tech level so i i go from stone age which is completely theater of the mind right now that's probably my my favorite way to run things right now um i have yeah. all my miniatures um and i have I actually have a very beautiful gaming table uh for geek chic table but um I've even dabbled in uh the digital which is kind of cool so uh, i run a game every now and then at work uh, and I've used the projector in the conference rooms. That's so cool. Uh, yes. Which is incredible. Uh, and and what I found out is that the projector <laughs> actually plays music as well. So it, it picks oh, up. Your, yeah. So I'm like, play, I got the, the music going uh, and I'm using Roll20, which I'm sure most of you are familiar with, um, to pull up uh, monsters and whatever, I, you know, whatever I'm using at the time, maps. I love handouts. I do a lot of handout stuff when I have time to prepare. And that's the big problem, right? Is, is you don't always have the time to prepare. So I always yeah. have theater of the mind. But I usually, when I know I'm going to run a game, I pick one of those things to, to, to go with. And I say, I'm going to do it this way, which means that I have to prep differently too. Because um, if you're going to use miniatures and you're going to use terrain, you actually need to get to those points, right, in the story. You have to kind of you you have to shoehorn that in just a little bit more than you would if you were theater of the mind. You're like, oh, okay, it doesn't really matter where you go. I'm just going to keep making things up. And actually, I wanted to call out um, there is this software uh, called it's uh, the Arkin Forge uh, to Master's Toolkit, which is a new map making software. I have not gotten it yet, uh, and I will just shout out to them because their stuff looks amazing. Uh, they uh, it's basically a mapping tool for exactly the purposes we're talking about it, displaying it on the, like the, the, the up-facing LCD tables or using a projector or something like that. Uh, and you, it has all the assets of like campfires, dungeons and stuff like that. And it has, uh, it's essentially what Roll20 does, but it's its own, its own standalone thing. And at some point I'm, hmm. I want to take a look at it. It looks really, really cool. Cool. Um, I gotta, I gotta confess a couple things. I'm not, 
as well versed in role playing as you guys. Uh, you guys both have done it far more regularly and are far more into it than I am. It's not that I hate it or anything. I do really enjoy it. Just haven't had the opportunity all the time. We're gonna grease those um, wheels, though. We're gonna grease those wheels. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I appreciate the time and effort that goes into painting those miniatures but I just don't care. Um, part of it might be that I've spent exactly one third of my life being a poor college student. And I can't say I've spent the last five years of my life being much more than that. So I just can't afford those kinds of things. Um, when I've DM'd, generally it's theater of the mind. Um, there's some handouts because I do like handouts. I like maps i like writing letters to the characters in games stuff like that and then probably a six pack of beer and an ordered pizza <laughs> that's that's kind of how go. my games have looked yeah your, um, your tech level is ale <laughs> yeah i'll admit i've never played a game that had cool terrain or miniatures usually we had a grid map that was like a dry erase thing and we'd use like lego pieces and stuff so yep. there's probably a certain like feeling Nightmare. of awe when you see those things, um, like real miniatures and real terrain that I haven't experienced. So I'm speaking from the point where I, it, it's not immersive to me to see a Lego dude on, on a grid map. Right. No, but, but I've always, I've actually always said like, uh, if you used Lego and you used all Lego, like oh, that, yeah. it, that would be awesome. If the that whole thing be... was Lego. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. You're right. Um, I want to say, like, I, I fully agree with you guys as far as theater of their mind. I think that's the purest way to play it. And you don't need any of this other stuff. Now, I, I always kind of, even for combat, I would want, like, some kind of a, a mat and even just beads or tokens just so at a glance everyone knows where they are, right? Mm. Right. Uh, well, I but, really like how the Monolith game had it in mind that you could use their maps with the 2D20 system or vice versa, however that worked. With the zone thing? Uh, zones are becoming more and more popular. I know Fate uses that. Um, there are a lot of systems that use that. Yeah, like Modiphius, uh, they, they have a sort of, it's a little bit of a, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Like you have sort of combat zones, like you're one, two, or three zones away, or four zones away is like yeah. very far. Yep. Um, monolith maps won't necessarily work in the same way because there's so many on a board. Um, but yeah, sure. I, I, I get your point, yes. Yeah, where it's like I'm not measuring out a five a five foot representation on the grid. I'm just like you're next to the bookcase the bad guy's at, so you're within reach. Kind of for thing. a board game, I, I love the idea of a zone rather than just counting squares the whole time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. right. Can I hit him? Well, are you in his zone? Then yes, right. Yeah. That's that's simple and elegant to me. I like it. So one of the things that I do when I have um, the terrain. Uh, and this is not my idea. This comes from DM Scotty. Uh, is to use the, he, he calls it going gridless, right? Is basically cutting out a, a, cinch, a six inch stick, which is generally the thirty feet movement, and yes. you just use the, the stick to jump, right? And if you need a, one more inch or whatever, that's you measure it out if you have to. But generally, it's just a question of jump the stick. And nobody I've ever played with is splitting hairs over. Oh my goodness, you moved, you know. 31 feet or anything like that you're the hero sure. if you can do it you do it you know like that's yeah well uh, and i think a, a massive shout out to dm scotty is probably uh do yeah um oh yeah really like when i was first looking at getting back into D, &D 
his videos popped up and because I was like, I don't want to do a grid, man. And, and like 3.5 was based on a grid. And, you know, I didn't want to do it. And then he, he was his going gridless thing was like a revelation for me. I was like, yeah, exactly. It's one inch. So let's just measure in inches. And if you have to worry about like, I mean, do you really have to worry about, well, if I'm going on a diagonal on a grid, I got to count an extra for every oh, second. I hate that. No, like, you know when you worry about that, you worry about it in competitive war games. You don't worry right? about it when you're playing cooperatively and telling a story, and that gets lost way too much when it comes to RPGs. Yeah. Like the rules lawyer situation, I don't. Well, that's that is another topic, but right. Um, definitely shout out to him for those for those measuring sticks. I actually have some old Warhammer ones. They measure like 18 inches, and we have used them for. Oh my God, for years and years. And they're perfect, man. That's all you need. So if you're still stuck on a grid and you're not a rules lawyer, uh, get off the grid. You'll feel better. <laughs> get off the See, grid. Except, <laughs> except, stay. Oh, up, go ahead, go ahead. Sorry. I was going to say, before we wrap this up, um, I'd want to say this is what I love so much about doing this with you guys. I've never even heard of DM Scotty. I have no idea what oh, you're talking check about. Check his videos, man. Just but check. I'm going to go find it. Yeah. And like, we don't know each other all that well beyond this and yeah. you know we're just kind of doing this as three guys that love to talk about this kind of stuff and i'm learning uh, about all kinds of things all the time and that that's cool so thanks yeah, for he, being part of it he he's probably the originator of uh or i won't say the originator because that's not fair i'm sure plenty of people were doing this but it's basically he popularized the idea of building terrain from cardboard uh, and he made yeah. it. He made it very accessibly. Made some really, really wonderful wow. videos on how to make all your dungeon okay. dungeon tiles, buildings, just any, almost anything you wanted. It's incredible. Like he's a yeah, genius. And, and Logan, you're talking about being on a budget. Like, and I'm not saying you know get out there and make sure you make terrain and get miniatures. <laughs> you don't right. have to do it. But if you did have the proclivity to do so, you could do it on a budget. And he shows. He really does show you how. So. Um, yeah, and shout, I shout have out all to miniatures from the Monolith game. So I mean, I have miniatures now. Yeah, and you know, yeah, you, know you, gotta, you don't need to paint them. No. Misconception. I mean, you gotta paint them. <laughs> you gotta paint them. <laughs> I, I don't know if I'm ever gonna paint them, but you don't need to paint them. Matt's not going to come to come to your house <laughs> and you know take them away from you or anything like that. But listen, you mentioned going gridless, and that is a good way to go. Except if you go off the grid and you can't get to Rogues in the House cast at gmail.com do you like how i did that segue that was pretty cool. that was great yeah. that's fantastic the gridless aspect for an awesome segue out, yeah. So yeah i was i was hoping to get in him and then then logan was all like oh i, I learned so much from elvis it's like no you ruined my segue <laughs> man blew my mind <laughs> get rid of your sentimentality we got a good segue here so you know by the time this plays it'll be right around the holiday season so uh i just want to wrap it up do you guys have any any um Sword and sorcery holiday wishes for yourself. For myself? Yeah, for yourself. Or for all your for anyone for that matter. Man, that's tough. Uh I I'm not a huge Christmas person. Um uh, my I, so I guess my big wish is to avoid as much holiday music as possible. Okay. All right. I thought that maybe you were gonna ask for uh you know uh uh, Crommy claws for a, <laughs> for for a, a broadsword or something, but no, nope. <laughs> no. just want to avoid that Christmas music. Christmas often, uh, or or the holidays rather, it doesn't necessarily need to be Christmas. Um, usually invites uh, imbibing and uh, and uh, quaffing wine. So 
that I always associate with uh, good adventure tales. So yeah. I, uh, I wish for some good drinks, uh, some good food and general merriment. Yeah. And I, and I hope all of our listeners have a, have an excellent holiday season. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's great. Um, and you know, again, I want to just thank the listeners. You guys are, are fantastic. We really appreciate everything that you've given us thus far, and we're having a wonderful time doing this. Uh, unfortunately, I do have to uh, end on a, on a very sad note because all of your holiday wishes will be ignored by Crom. <laughs> <laughs> thank you all. Uh, we will see you in episode three of the Great Armor Debate, and may your swords always remain sharp. 